Hello, listeners. Jess here. Have you heard our newest show, Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches? Winnie Taylor is just a teenager when her mother dies, sending her to Cleveland to reunite with her dad, a former football player. It's an inspirational story about sports, family, and learning to overcome the barriers that hold us back. Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches has something for everyone. Action-packed football games, a story about friendship, and a father-daughter story that will warm everyone's heart. I know you're going to love it. Follow Winnie Taylor's Fourth and Inches wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free with a GZM family subscription. Head to gzmshows.com for more. Sure. So right now, pretty much every news story in Canada and around the world is related to the coronavirus. And we spoke a bit about it last time. But if we look back at news about climate action of countries earlier this year, before it all started, there are many reasons to feel a bit more optimistic. People are starting to pull together. There were so many stories about countries adding environmental protections or hashtag canceling coal. Just look at Belgium. It started shutting down the last of its coal plants. Or, or in the UK. It recently celebrated its first 24 hours without coal power since the Industrial Revolution. Everywhere, countries like Portugal, Sweden, France, even tiny countries like Malta are taking action. I'm Sarah. And this is The Big Melt. And that's exactly what today's episode is about. I'm going to talk to a super special guest about... She's going to talk to the sheriff of the environment. Hey, what was that? I knew you were going to do that. Not this time. I have all the bleep power. Dude, just after me. What about speech? Hey, cut it out. I'm going to tell that. Sorry, uh, what was that? It's not fair! (laughs) As I was saying, today I'm going to talk to a super special guest about Canadian governmental action on climate change. But first, I kind of need to prepare, so I thought it'd be a good idea to talk to some peeps who have some actual experience with talking to politicians. Do you remember Katya? Uh, She told us about the extreme weather in her home in the Couch and Valley back in episode 5. I called her and her friend Jasmine. Both of them are actually in an organization called Earth Guardians. They lead a group of teens doing climate activism in their area. And what they're doing is so impressive that I wanted them to share it with you. Hello? Hi. Hi. Is this Katya and Jasmine? Yeah, hi. Oh my gosh, I've heard so much about all the stuff you guys are doing. You guys are doing it. You know, I'm actually going to talk to an elected official myself later today and I wanted to see if you could give me some pointers. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Sure, totally, yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. But wait, first, um, could you tell our audience a little bit more about your activities? Like, what are some of the things you guys are doing to combat climate change? I think that as a young person, the most important things you can do to combat climate change are be present, get educated, and educate. In my community, I teach workshops and do lectures. I organize community events, I do restoration work, I contribute to awareness campaigns, I use my art to create change. There are so many capacities in which we can raise public awareness. It is one of the easy and most vital means of activism. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And Jasmine, what about you? I'm a member of our local branch of the Couch and Valley Earth Guardians, which Katia leads. (laughs) Um, We organize events like Katya said and then we also try and just get other youth involved and spread the word about the climate crisis. That's incredible you guys are amazing. Um, Okay so 
Why do you take these actions? Why is fighting climate change important to you? Fighting climate change is important to me um, because of the people that it will displace or have it has displaced. Um, people are losing their homes. And even here where we live, we just had a big, big flood and lots of people lost everything they own. And this hasn't happened before. And like all of our rivers flooded, but in the summer, they all run completely dry and the salmon can't get through. And like, you just see how harsh it's getting to even like local places where we live, where you wouldn't think that it would affect. I take action to mitigate the impacts of climate change because climate change doesn't just affect us as humans. It's it affects everything, every species, every blade of grass, every every other organism on this earth. And humans are not the only ones who will suffer because of our destructive actions. The earth will continue on long after we're gone, but to not try to mitigate the effects of climate crisis for the success of future life on this earth just seems unethical to me. Yeah, for sure. So what effects of climate change have you seen in your community? What's happening in our community is some of the people that are most affected by climate change are the indigenous people. Our local First Nations, all of their reserve is on floodplain, so their homes were devastated during our local flood. Like when the salmon can't um, swim through the river, the tradition of going out every year fishing is gone. So that like ruins, it's not just ruining like day-to-day functions or someone can't drive to work. Like it's wiping out traditions of people who have had those traditions for thousands and thousands of years. So that's really devastating for our local communities of Indigenous people, yeah. Oh my goodness. I completely understand why it's so important for you guys. Now, have you seen any impact from your actions? Um, one of the impacts that we've seen is, so we organize climate strikes in our community and we've seen like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people just leave what they were doing and like gather together and say like, we're not gonna stand for this anymore. We have to do something about this. And we asked our local governments to do as we say and say, like tell them like, we need change right now. And like they um, declared a climate emergency in our community after we worked really hard to have a campaign and a petition going for quite a few months. And our school district just declared a climate emergency as well. Right, okay. That actually brings me to what I wanted to talk to you about. How do you exactly talk to the government? I don't know a lot of people who really know how to do that. Um, What does it mean you ask them to do as you say? Okay, so um, me and my Earth Guardians co-leader, Sierra, um, were a part of a delegation that was started by one Cowichan at our local government meeting. It's the CVRD, Cowichan Valley Regional District. And we presented the perspective of youth in the climate crisis and how we feel about the actions that they are taking in our community. And we were part of this delegation that helped convince them of the need for declaring a climate crisis. So, You guys are absolutely blowing my mind. Everything you say is incredible. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. I really hope to hear from you guys soon. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye. 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 They are so 
amazingly empowering to talk to. I mean, the situation they described is really serious, but they still managed to move forward and keep going. Okay, before we get to our special guest, let's look at what the world will be like after climate change. Well, for starters, warmer. Here in Canada, everything is going to shift up. Hotter summers and warmer winters. According to the Climate Atlas of Canada, which BT dubs is this really cool interactive model of climate change in Canada, places like Pangertung in Nunavut will have 10 times fewer negative 30 degree days, whereas cities in Manitoba can expect four times as many 30 degree plus days. This is a massive change. Like, we're gonna basically be California. A longer growing season, temperate weather, pretty much everything except the surfing. Which doesn't sound too bad. Until you consider the fact that change on this scale brings with it the loss of coastal land, flooding, increased risk of wildfires, and of course, the loss of all the communities and creatures who couldn't keep up with the change. The consequences people in Katya and Jasmine's home are currently dealing with. And uh, that's just in the short term. Longer view models of life after climate change are a sort of choose your own adventure sort of deal. They depend entirely on how much CO2 gets released before we turn it around. All of them paint a picture of gradual, and I mean really gradual reversal, like between 100,000 and 400,000 years. But exactly how long is up to us? Also, important to note, by reversal, I don't mean everything will go back to exactly the way it was. It's more of a what goes up must come down kind of sitch. At a certain point, CO2 levels in the atmosphere will top out and a process of reabsorption will begin. That means all the excess carbon we've released will be absorbed by the oceans, making them more and more acidic. The carbon will get absorbed by the seafloor, by minerals like basalt and feldspar. And eventually, gradually, very, very slowly, the world will start to cool again. It's funny, it makes me feel a little better to know that the planet will eventually heal itself and reach balance again, even if we don't know how long that will take. I think Katya and Jasmine were right. I think it's time to actually reach out to the people in power. Like, if all these long-term outcomes are up to us, I think I need to talk to one of the people we've chosen to make decisions. What about you guys? What do you think? We can quickly change stuff if we absolutely want to. Like, some people, like, just don't care. Like, the people who don't really care, like, they don't realize on how bad it may get. On a personal level, I feel like no one is listening, no one's paying attention. So, it could be seven or eight of us in here that think that global warming's a bad thing, but there could be seven or eight billion or million or, you know, how many you want that think global warming's just a myth. No one cares about the environment. I don't think anyone's doing anything to help. If people see that young people want change, the governments would change. If a lot of people want to do it, if they want to get reelected, they're going to do what they want. And also, um, they are the next generation who are, and they are going to be the prime ministers and presidents. 
When I get a chance to vote, I will vote for whatever party has ideas that will help reduce climate crisis and to do whatever they can. Hmm, that's a lot to think about. Let's take a super quick break for this message. Okay, where were we? Uh, right. Hey, Kyle? Uh, yeah? I think it's time to level up. Are you calling the M of E? Oh yeah, I'm calling the M of E. Through super secret covert means, I managed to get the number of the Jonathan Wilkinson, Minister of the Environment and Climate Change. Well, you call the ministry mid an appointment. No big deal. Okay, fine. Through not so secret and quite predictable means, but still. <sighs> okay, here we go. Wait, what are you supposed to even call him? Hi, am I speaking with Minister Wilkinson? You are. Oh, sorry. Just so that I'd know, what's the proper way to address a minister? <laughs> well, lots of people here call or refer to me as Minister Wilkinson, but I actually quite prefer if you just call me Jonathan. Oh, amazing. Okay, so, uh, so, well, good morning. Uh, I mean, I guess it's the afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jonathan. <laughs> um... I'm working on a podcast called The Big Melt, which is all about climate change, and I was hoping you could possibly answer a few of my questions. Sure, I'd be happy to. <sighs> okay, awesome. Thank you so much. I was wondering what the government is doing to mitigate climate change. I keep hearing about this pan-Canadian framework on clean growth and climate change. <laughs> That's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> but could you explain what that means? Sure. Um... So it's probably just better to talk about it rather than calling it the framework on clean growth and all of that. It's really about what are the ways that we can reduce our greenhouse gas emissions in the areas where we actually produce a lot of greenhouse gases. And in Canada, that's uh, things like transportation. So it's cars. Uh, it's buildings. So it's how we heat our homes. It's how we create energy. So, you know, do you make it through hydro, which is greenhouse gas friendly, there's no greenhouse gases, or do you burn coal, which is creates a lot of gases. And it's also industries. And so we look at how do you look at all of those sources of emissions and find thoughtful ways to reduce them. Like in the case of cars, you know, how do you get more electric vehicles on the road, for example, or electric buses or those kinds of things. Oh, that sounds really important. Can you explain a bit about the Climate Action Plan of Canada? Um, when, when our government uh, came into office in 2015, Canada didn't really have a climate plan. And so the first thing that the minister at the time did was try to put in place a, an initial climate plan that started to move us in the direction we needed to go. Um, but it didn't get us all the way to where we need to go for 2030, which is the target we have committed to with our international partners, and eventually to 2050, where we in Canada have now committed to be net zero in terms of emissions. So for me, the biggest things I'm working on right now are defining exactly how we're going to achieve our 2030 targets. We need to do that because not only is it important in terms of greenhouse gases, but it's important that we show our international partners that we, we are committed. And then how do you define pathways to net zero by 2050, which is going to require a lot of changes in how we do things, including a lot of changes in our economy. If, if we can start to do better in terms of recycling, in terms of reusing, um, in terms of moving towards what, what lots of folks call a circular economy, which means that you get rid of the idea of waste, that you actually use resources and then you find ways to reuse those resources. 
we start to do that, it has an important impact on climate. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, now you mentioned international partners. How does Canada compare to other countries when it comes to sustainability and climate action? Well, Canada, I think, is one of the leaders on the climate uh, on the climate change side of things. Certainly, European countries are also very active, but we have been uh, been leading the, the uh, what's called the phasing out of coal, so getting rid of coal as uh, as a, a source of energy. We've been one of the leaders in the world on that. We've been a leader in putting a price on pollution, so it shouldn't be free to pollute, and carbon is a pollute, pollutant. Um, and we work very actively with leading countries around the world. To, to demonstrate leadership and to help others to, you know, raise their level of ambition because it is such an important issue. Yeah, it is. And I'm really happy to hear Canada is doing so much already. So what's one thing about climate change you wish every Canadian would understand? Well, I think that it would be helpful if Canadians better understood the science that underlines climate change. Um, that, you know, sometimes people sort of believe in climate change, but they don't really think that it's happening now, and maybe it won't happen for a long time. But if you actually, I, I wish people understood better the impact that we are seeing on uh, of climate change right now. Um, you know, extreme weather events, the effects of flooding in lots of different areas. Um, those are really important. Young people get it. I mean, young people really understand it. I mean, that's, I think, why we saw such huge marches in many cities in Canada. Um, and young people also understand that it is an existential threat to their future, that if we don't address climate change, the world that they will inherit will be a very difficult one. And so I wish every parent and every grandparent and every uncle and every aunt really understood that. Yeah, that's so awesome that the younger generation gets it and really starts to push people into action. Oh, I will tell you, I have my youngest daughter is 17 and she talks to me every night about the need for me to do more on climate change. <laughs> that's incredible. Wow. Good for her. Actually, uh, on that note, what advice do you have for young people like me who are concerned about our future, but maybe don't feel like we really have the power to do anything about it? I actually think young people have a lot more power than they think. Um, you, you folks are the best spokespeople for changing the minds of older generations, of making people care more about climate. Um, you know, it's one thing for the government to tell your parents or your grandparents that they should care about climate change. It's a totally different thing to have your son or your daughter tell you that they're scared about their future. And so, uh, so I think that, you know, young people need to, to seize that power. They need to talk to their parents and their grandparents and their aunts and their uncles and their neighbors about why it's so important for you. And you guys have the ability to move the needle and move the dial in a way that I don't um, as the minister. Oh, that's incredible. I never looked at it that way. Well, thank you so much for your advice and answering all my questions. Not at all. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Whoa. He thinks we have more power than him? I know, right? But like you said, we're more aware of it. It's our future. You know, I'm really glad that he seems totally focused on getting Canada to hit its 2030 and 2050 targets. Well, I mean, some people may think that the targets are not ambitious enough, but at least we're moving in the right direction, right? Because it's one thing to talk about change. It's another thing entirely to make that change happen. I also really like that he talked about working with Canada's international partners. Because that's what this week's climate myth is about. Mm-hmm.
China is the only country responsible for climate change. Okay, so this is a tricky one to unpack because, like, obviously it's false. And statements like this are rooted in racism and fear and just objectively wrong because, hello, North America, you consume a lot. But there is something there, a granule of truth. And in order to properly address this myth, I think we have to ask a much bigger question about what equality means on a global scale. So here goes. When you hear politicians and pundits say this kind of thing, what they're generally talking about is the fact that China is the largest single contributor of greenhouse gases. And this info is usually served alongside the argument that China should have to decrease its emissions because we all share the world, and for them to pollute more than anyone else is unfair. But here's the thing. It kinda is fair that it's unfair. I mean, the unfairness is more fair than having it all be fair, or fairer, at least. Here's why. China and India and Africa and South America, for that matter, are all developing regions. There are parts of the world that are essentially doing what most of North America and Europe did after the Second World War. And a huge part of China's emissions are emitted because of this development. And it's a tricky thing. They should be able to build up to the same level of infrastructure and services the developed world has. To build roads and hospitals and power grids. To have clean water and the internet and modern farming equipment. Catching the whole world up to the same quality of life takes time and energy. That doesn't mean that this process should be done recklessly. Nah. Critiques about their use of coal or lack of environmental protection are legit. But it's important to note that most people who blame China for all the world's pollution usually aren't motivated by a sense of responsibility to the planet. They just don't want other people to have what they have. It's actually exciting. China and the rest of the world have the chance to develop in a more efficient, sustainable way. And side note, China is currently one of the largest investors in renewables. But I really think as global citizens, we have to find a way to figure out and offset the environmental cost of development. Because while China is definitely not the only country responsible for climate change, we're all responsible for each other. Well, this week was intense. <laughs> we talked about life after climate change and international cooperation, about local effects and nationwide initiatives the big big and the super small. I am so thankful that I got to talk to Katya and Jasmine again and to Minister Wilkinson. I'm feeling really energized and hopeful, which is good because next week we're gonna talk about what we can do to reduce the damage caused by climate change or how to adapt to the new world it's creating. <laughs> See you guys next Oh, could you uh, Would you just Oh, oh car <laughs> I have the bleep power now. Vader skaters, Kyle out. The Big Melt Podcast is brought to you by Earth Rangers and hosted by Sarah Marks. It is written by Lee Lawson, directed by Stefan Richter, and edited by Nitai Steinberg. Production assistance by Avneet Sandu. 
learn more about today's episode or leave us a message, go to bigmeltpodcast.com. You can also take a quick survey for a chance to win a custom t-shirt. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button and come on, show you care with five stars, please. Later, skaters. everyone. I'm Jeremy. I'm Autumn. And I'm Jasper. And we're a GZM family. And we want you to listen to our favorite show, Becoming Mother Nature. I love the one with the Green Reaper and the zombies. Yeah! Three years ago, Brinley Pasternak helped the Anders family uncover the truth about Holiday's past. Now, she'll need them to help her find the truth about hers. Six Minutes Out of Time is the long-awaited sequel to the most downloaded family audio adventure in history. When Cyrus is found unconscious near the mysterious Elixir Academy in Florida, Brinley learns the school may have a shocking connection to her missing mother. All new episodes are available one week early and ad-free for GZM subscribers. Visit gzmshows.com to learn more.